as we gather around the written word and listen to the spoken word, may we meet with the living word, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So it's the 1st of January, first day of another new year. wonder how you're feeling about that. Excited? A little bit nervous? For many of us, I suspect there's a little bit of nervousness, a little bit of trepidation about going into another new year. The last couple of years might have left us feeling maybe a little bit anxious about what the new year might bring, given what the new year brought for us the last three times. So maybe rather than, I mean, hopefully for some of us there is that positive sense of uh, new possibilities and hope for the future, but I suspect that for some of us, uh, not so much. There might be a bit more of a sense of, what else can go wrong? <laughs> I wonder if Mary and Joseph felt a little bit like that. Um, see, they'd been through a very up and down period. Just, just think about it. For the last few years, what have the last few years held for Mary and Joseph? A betrothal? Up? Unexpected pregnancy? Kind of up, and, but some tricky bits about that as well. A house move, a delivery night filled with all kinds of extraordinary and amazing events. So much to process, so much to ponder on, so much that might have left their heads spinning thinking, what next? But actually there was more next, more things kept piling on. Since that night of Jesus' birth, more strange things have happened. Um, Actually, the first few readings of our first few words of our reading from Matthew's eyewitness account of the good news of Jesus give us a bit of a clue. They say, "When they had gone," uh, that's the first four words of what Karen read for us. When they had gone, well, when who had gone? Well, as we found out a little bit earlier, if we read the first section of Matthew chapter two, we discover that the young family had had some exotic visitors. Wise people from the east, stargazers, who had seen this new star in the sky and followed it all the way to Bethlehem via Jerusalem. And they'd brought valuable gifts. Who was listening earlier? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well done. They'd worshipped the small boy they'd found. What could all this possibly mean? What was going on? But still, it doesn't stop coming. Another angel comes to Joseph in another dream, but this time with a warning. There's a bounty on Jesus' head. It's time to move again, not just from Nazareth to Bethlehem. This time it's a journey of hundreds of miles to a foreign country, to a place where they don't know anyone, a place where they speak a different language. It's time to take him to Egypt. Eventually, as we heard, they do get back to their home country. But even then, it's some years later, and they don't actually go back to the town they were planning to set up home, Bethlehem, but another town in the north, Nazareth. What a few years. What a lot of process. What a lot of change. What a lot of difficulty and challenge. 
And as they were going through this time, as they were going through these years, as Jesus was a young boy, I wonder how they felt at the change of the year. And of course, not just that family either. In the middle of that reading, we heard about the tragedy and trauma inflicted on the families of Bethlehem and the surrounding countryside. That detour of the Magi to Jerusalem had awful consequences for the people of Bethlehem. It had disturbed Herod and all Jerusalem with him. That's what it says in, uh, earlier in Matthew chapter 2. And Herod was unrelenting and merciless when it came to dealing with possible threats to his rule, to his dynasty, to his power. And having failed in his sly attempt to discover the precise details of Jesus' whereabouts from the Magi, he goes for the blunderbuss approach, scattergun, and orders the death of all the boys under two in the region. He orders the death of all the boys under two in the region. Let's just take a moment to think of the grief of the parents, the brothers and sisters, the grandparents, the wider community. What does that do to a community? For the soldiers of their own king to arrive in town to put babies and toddlers to death. How could they possibly face a new year? The scale of the fury and self-protection of the tyrant is fearsome to behold. And it still is. It still is across the world. The illegal and brutal invasion of Ukraine. The increasing subjugation of women and girls in Afghanistan. The treatment of protesters in Iran. I could go on. The scale of the fury and self-protection of the tyrant is still fearsome to behold. So, what does this all have to say to us going into a new year on the first day of a new year? Well, for that I'd actually like to go back to the beginning of the reading we had from the book of the prophet Isaiah that Richard brought for us. And what does it say at the beginning of that reading? It says this. I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised. I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord. And Isaiah goes on to recount the way in which God rescued God's people, redeemed them, shared their distress and carried them. He also recalls the people's unfaithfulness and forgetfulness and the consequences of that. And he goes on to say, just just after the bit that Richard read for us, you can read on later. Then God's people recalled the days of old. Then God's people recalled the days of old. It is in the recollection of the kindnesses of God that we are brought back to God. We praise God because God is worthy of praise and worship, but also so that we can remind ourselves and each other of what God has done in the past, because that helps build our faith for what God is going to do in the future. That's one of the reasons that we share communion together. 
We thank and praise God for Jesus, for what Jesus did on the cross and by his resurrection to redeem us, to rescue us, to carry us, to give us life. But we also remember, we remind ourselves and each other that this, this is our foundational reality. Not all the other stuff. Whatever else is going on, we keep coming back to the table to remember the cross and to remember who we are and who God is. Sometimes this is difficult. Sometimes when we've been through traumatic or tragic times, when life has been hard, it is hard. It is difficult to decide to remember and to tell of the kindnesses of the Lord. We might not feel like it. We might feel like we can't actually remember any. This is where we fall back on Scripture and on each other. This is the first step to face the future, the new year, with any kind of hope or faith to tell of the kindnesses of the Lord. Because then we can be released to trust in God's provision. Joseph and Mary faced some tough decisions through those early years of Jesus' life. When that angel came to tell Joseph in a dream to take the young family to Egypt, I wonder how the conversation went around the breakfast table the next morning. Can you pass me the toast? By the way, an angel told me we ought to go to Egypt. I wonder if the previous visits from the angels came up in that conversation. The way in which God had provided for them in the past. The way in which What the angels had said previously to Joseph and Mary about Jesus had come to pass. One of these recollections, these remembrances of what had happened, strengthened their faith that God would continue to provide for them, even in a strange land. Trusting in God's provision. Perhaps also, we'll take God's warnings seriously. When we remember Jesus' kindnesses to us at communion, we also remember why they were necessary. Jesus died so that we don't have to. The natural consequences of our unfaithfulness and disobedience to God is our death. You see, if Jesus and Mary hadn't taken God's warning seriously, Jesus would have died as a toddler. It's uncomfortable thinking and talking about our moral failure, about our sin. We don't like to reflect on our own sin because it makes us feel guilty or ashamed. And the thing is, the irony is that it's actually only when we do it, when we acknowledge our sin, that we can be freed from all that guilt and shame by the forgiveness that God gives us. It's only when we face it and bring it to God it gets dealt with. If we don't face it, it doesn't get dealt with. It just festers. It's also often helpful to have someone who can give us an outside perspective. I don't know about you, but I know that there are things that I get wrong that I am entirely oblivious to. just can't see them. 
Fortunately, I have a wife. So that sorts that out. When we're getting the caravan out of the drive, I, I can't see it all. I need a couple of my members and my family checking that I'm not going to hit the gateposts. I can't see. I need someone else to give me a warning. I wonder who we have in our lives that we trust to challenge us when they think we might be going the wrong way. Telling the kindnesses of God, trusting in God's provision, paying attention to God's warnings. It seems to me that if we do those things, then there might be a couple of other things that we can do positively, inspired by what we read in Matthew's account. Firstly, we can welcome refugees. I know that many of us are already involved in this. I've been so encouraged to see the way in which so many folk from All Saints have opened their homes up to Ukrainian guests. Others have supported financially, supporting with the support groups we've been doing, just the welcome. I love the way in which we've been able to partner with House of Prayer to provide support groups and Bible study groups and, and, and financial aid to the church in Ukraine that we, we see the results of in the notice sheet. We've made a good start. Now we're called to persevere with compassion and patience. There will continue to be opportunities for us to serve and welcome those fleeing from war, persecution and famine. What would it look like for us to treat each of those people as if they were Joseph, Mary and Jesus fleeing from Herod? Secondly, we can stand up to tyrants. I don't know about you, it feels to me sometimes like, well, what can I do? What little can we do that has any impact on the global conflicts and injustices that we are aware of around the world? But even if we don't feel like we can do very much, we can, I believe, do something. And all those somethings can add up to change. Firstly, and most powerfully, we can pray faithfully and persistently for the release from oppression from tyrants. We can give financially to organisations supporting those who live in these countries. Um, later in, in the spring, we're going to have a visiting speaker from Open Doors, which is an organisation we support from All Saints that works with persecuted Christians living in some of these countries. And the speaker's going to be sharing with us some stories from those places and encouraging us to how we can support them even more practically. We can write to our own MPs to make our views known. We can change our buying patterns and behaviours. There are things we can do to stand up to tyrants. So, as we go into this new year, into 2023, Whatever it holds, whatever hopes and anxieties we may have, let's trust in God's provision. Let's listen to God's warnings. Let's welcome refugees. Let's challenge tyrants. And let's tell of God's kindnesses. Amen. Amen.